0: All right, before I even begin to pass in review, I made mention the last few services, how that the Holy Spirit's had me on the border of intercession. That at times in public, I'm almost afraid to, to yield sometimes to the grieving that I feel down inside of my soul for some of the things that's going on in the body of Christ at this time especially in the realms of immorality, uh, sin, that kind of thing. And I, I know that as far as witchcraft is concerned in America, that witches have been fasting and praying or chanting to their prince of darkness, Satan, for the destruction of the morals of Christian families, Christian ethics, and especially divorce. The break-up of Christian homes and again, especially the clergy, or especially in the ministry. And just for the, the sake of revival and understanding our enemy, being wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, that the Holy Ghost just threw us into this portion of prayer because we have been studying prayer. But threw us into this kind of praying. I made mention that I was grieved because I'm running into this more and more of a frequent basis that I can't even teach on Satan's war machine and how Satan comes in and takes preachers apart, especially if they're getting thousands born again in the kingdom. That How he comes in with these things and just literally takes them apart. That I'll do a preacher seminar and afterwards, when I give the process a breakdown, until a preacher or a believer is just rendered, bound in a stronghold of sin of some kind and, and no use you hating him. He hates himself. Well, that preachers will come up and want counseling and, and they'll say, Brother Roberson, I, I just don't know what to say. You know, my wife doesn't know. My good friends doesn't know. Nobody knows. And it seems like I pray and I repent, but I'm out of control. And I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And some of these preachers are so shipwrecked. Their emotions are so gone that they're carrying on a form of godliness. That they're praying and ministerial duties and carrying on the things that they need to. That they're so ashamed that they can't tell their wife they... I can't tell the closest ones to them because of the high regard that they have for their person. You don't know how much of this I'm running into. Uh, When Ed Cole preached at a Copeland meeting on lasciviousness of the flesh, superfluity of naughtiness, as King James calls it, that probably uh, between one-third and one-fourth of the preachers came up that was guilty of personal filthiness of the flesh, habitual things that included the the kind of pornography that's available in motel rooms and literature and things, and the abuse of their own body. He said, does it do any good when Satan brings a wave like that on the body of Christ to just sit around and criticize and scream at everybody because they're operating in sin Because when a person falls to that kind of sin, they're the victim, the victim of a well-planned, strategic, organized machine. And when Satan finally is finished with them and takes them out, locks them up in that kind of stronghold, it's just the last steps of something that was very well organized. And this is why he said, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, that he expects you and I to know our enemy. So it doesn't do any good to scream at a guy and jump up, you know, and point your finger and say, we've got to cut this sin out in the body. Well, you can line them all up in counsel and ask them if you think that they should do that, and they'll tell you no. You know, everybody knows that that kind of sin is wrong. When I was in an ultra, ultra, ultra holiness is what they did is they screamed at us about the sin all the time, but nobody stepped forward and told you what you could do about it. So we got condemned all the time, and and most of the times the preachers were screaming and yelling about what they were consciously condemned about the most, you know. And a lot of times when a preacher will all the time be suspicious of you and accusing you of wrongdoings, it's usually he's yelling at you over the areas that he's weak in. So <laughs> well, why are you preaching on it all the time? Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't do any good to yell and yell and yell at people unless you step forward. And help them understand first what got them into the mess because if you can understand what gets a person in then we can understand better what will get a person out because it stands to reason if you understand what causes a person to fall to these kind of things then you can reverse the process and get yourself out amen glory to God and as we progress towards this have you noticed how things come in waves it seems like all the preachers are falling to adultery at once and all the preachers are stealing money at once all of them's getting caught up in scandals and suing each other and fighting to fire each other at once if you notice it's kind of like it comes in a wave you know just And no sooner does that wave subside and the devil is building the momentum for another one and he preys on the weaknesses of a bunch of human beings again to bring scandals. But I've always wondered, how come these things come in waves? It seems like everybody falls to the same thing at the same time. But I don't wonder anymore. Since he showed me Satan's war machine. He opened that kind of thing up. Now, when he talked about standing against the wiles of the enemy, if the apostle Paul would have outlined Satan's operation the same way he did the operation of the body of Christ when Jesus ascended on high and gave gifts to men, he would have said something like this, that Satan ascended on high to his spirits in authority and gave some first principalities and secondarily... He gave powers. And thirdly, he gave the rulers of the darkness of this world. And finally, fourthly, he gave spiritual wickedness in high places. So it seems like things just kind of come in waves, that everybody is running off with the piano player and everybody divorcing each other in church and marrying up each other in church. And then all comes with goofy teachings with it. God told me to divorce my wife and marry that one over there. He, he quit talking to you when you started thinking like that. Yeah. Let's <laughs> well, see, Satan went to his principalities and the conversation went on something like this. It probably happened about a generation or so ago when Satan realized the value of the media as television, music, Entertainment industry, um, the media through newspaper, the printed page. When he realized where our civilization was going, that he pulled his principalities into a counseling session, and he said, "I want you to destroy the morals of the body of Christ." And if he picked out a geography, and I know that he did, I happen to know that he did this to the United States. So all these principalities gathered from around the world. They was in council with Satan, and he said, I want you to destroy the morals. I want you to cause divorce, to be on the rise in Christianity like never before. I want it rampant. I want immorality. I want doctrinal preaching that looses the hold on holiness. I want a perversion of grace to be preached, that it covers all that kind of stuff, that it is okay, he is a God of grace. I want the whole stage set for it. Now, you principalities, I am going to hold you accountable for the destruction of the morals in the body of Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? So then these principalities go to powers, and they're numbered by number. There isn't very many principalities. They're an angelic class. It kind of looks like Satan. And he was the sum total of God. His harps, his vocal cords could fill the universe with beautiful music. He didn't have trumpets sticking out all over his body, pipes in his chest and his shoulders. He could sing. When he'd sing, he'd fill the universe. There wasn't anything like him. And, of course, these principalities that followed him, and underneath them is another medium-class wicked spirit called the power, who supplies power for lying signs and wonders. Well, these principalities, there isn't that many of those, but there's a whole lot, times again, the power's. And then directly underneath powers is the rulers of the darkness of this world. And again, there's hundreds of thousands millions more of those than they are powers. And they are sentry kind of spirits that guard over darkness, that when we come and we're going to have a revival, that immediately the rulers of darkness, it is their job to organize a resistance against the invasion of light. I mean, if they have to, they'll shift seven more wicked spirits than the one that just came out of the person when they was delivered to come back and destroy whatever kind of invasion of, of revival is going on at the time. So then the multitude of unclean spirits is the rulers or the spiritual wickedness high places, which is, is that Jesus classified as devils or unclean spirits. And there is untold multi-millions and millions of hordes of these kinds of spirits. I mean millions of them. They're called Spiritual wickedness in high places, because high places denotes the air that you breathe below mountaintop level. In other words, they are the class of spirit that gets involved with human beings directly to depress. And when Satan gives the orders to a principality, he has to go back to his part of the world. He gives the orders to powers. And of course, they administrate it out through regions. The rulers of darkness then give it to these multitudes and multitudes of unclean spirits. And they say, unclean spirits, this is, this is how you have to go to work on human beings in your sector. You must begin to break their morals down on a direct level. You must. You must harass them through uncaptivated thoughts that become the high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, that become the imaginations with no foundations of truth. Runaway imaginations empowered by emotions of lusts and things that would make a man swear up and down he can't quit doing it. So this is their job to begin a breakdown. A breakdown of human beings, especially believers in the body of Christ. So what do we have here? Satan, when he realized the power of the media and television, newspaper, printed page, especially music. It seems to bypass a person's will and opens their emotions up to all kinds of devils. It's been the most powerful evangelistic tool along with dope that our younger generation has ever seen. Short of a miracle of God, you just lead them around by the hand. They're not good for much else. Do you understand? So these unclean spirits, these unclean spirits, they go to work all at once and they begin to create this wave. And that's why it seems like everything is happening to everybody at once. When these devils start that wave of immorality, when it reaches fruitation, that is fullness, everybody seems to be fallen at once to the same cheap set of tricks, the same immoralities. Preachers are divorcing their wives. Everything seems to happen at once because you're the victim of a well-schemed, planned, militaristic ploy of the devil that was executed with the precision of a computer. Did you understand that? The devil knew, he knew that when he unleashed these untold millions of unclean spirits on the body of Christ to try to indoctrinate, to break them down, that what would cause him to be most successful is to lose some of those powers on people in key positions like people that are over the media. People that are over the entertainment industry. And when most of us think of demon possession, we think of some perverted, unclean, homosexual that is tracking your kids into the brush. going to rape them, molest them, and then throw them away. And that's how we think of, of demon possession, some slobbering idiot growling on the rug. I mean, it doesn't take a second grader to know that something's wrong with that guy. It's a devil. We think the only place devils live is in insane asylums. And, boy, they live there all right. So we see a person slobbering, some maniac, don't know how to dress himself in the morning. We think, boy, that's the devil. And you're right. It is the devil. But the other part of his operation, and don't kid yourself, When these powers get behind personalities, they can be as possessed as possessed can be, but absolute geniuses in their own rights. And these people can be possessed, but yet the devil will use them in key positions to influence the entertainment industry and some demon-possessed guy sitting up there deciding, deciding, What kind of program is going to come into your home through television? And why? Because he knows if he's going to get you to let your guard down, it's not going to be in church. It's going to be when you're sitting in front of the television, per se, nobody's around, till he can shove your ethics in the background and you'll watch more and more and more of what you used to wouldn't watch. And who planned this on the top? It wasn't God. God has always looked at the media and television and all those things as his tool. Because Christians are so stupid, guess who's jumped the gun on it? So the devil knows that he can begin through uncaptivated thoughts and through stimulation of, of sight, sight and hearing and music. And you'll sit there hour after hour until pretty soon those uncaptivated thoughts become the temptations. That become the enticement that draws a man away. That becomes the lust that conceives, that gets a hold of the man. That becomes the sin and the stronghold that causes his death. You don't think he planned this? And I don't care what demon-possessed personality who is in charge of the media. Mr. Mrs. personality stands up with swelling words and all that over-bulging confidence. Makes great swelling statements. Don't you let that fool with your morality. It is wrong. glory be to God how do you think that you're arrested and taken backwards it wasn't all at once you're too smart for that as a degenerated step at a time, as uncaptivated thoughts laid hold of you and became the high things that's replacing what used to control your life, the high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God with the intention of replacing his knowledge with themselves to finally the imaginations, which is out of control, Imaginations empowered by emotions with no scriptural foundation as truth. Well we can understand what gets a man into that kind of mess. And the good part of it is, if you can understand what gets a man into that kind of mess, glory be to God, you can understand what can get him out. Now let me tell you the kind of people I've been counseling. My heart's broke. You know, I think there isn't a preacher alive that's worth his salt, hasn't had the devil come to him and attempt to break him down in all those realms. Amen? I don't think there's a believer worth his salt, worth being stopped, that he doesn't come and attempt to break him down one way or another. But I've been so grieved because this wave is reaching its fullness. I've been so grieved. David Wilkerson prophesied some 25 years ago that there'd be a day when the clergy could get this kind of stuff in his bedroom at night. And now that the satellites are in place and the the invention of commercial-free television in all our entertainment industry exactly what he's prophesied has come to pass. And God was warning of the danger of it way back then. Let me tell you how it stripped some of my friends. In the destruction of reasonings when you've been placed into a stronghold, Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They can't even be approached in that realm. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we do have weaponry available to us from God that will pull down these strongholds. Another word is prisons. He says, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of these prisons. And of course, then he tells you what the prisons are. Imaginations. High things exalted against the knowledge of God. And finally, uncaptivated thoughts. But why would he call it a stronghold? Why in the world would he call it a prison? What, what's a prison designed for? Incarceration. You know, when a man is enslaved, a prison is designed to hold him against his will. And I have these preachers coming and counseling and they're carrying on their forms of godliness. They're doing, they're preaching, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, yet they're locked up in a prison and they do not know how to get out. And when i have counseled with them, this is the kind of things they say. Now I'm telling you this so you can pray. I know it's wrong. But to tell you the truth, I want to keep on doing it. See, this is destruction of reasonings and emotionalism. I know it's wrong, but I want to keep on doing it. Something inside of me against hope has come because something inside of me does want to be free. But if you would ask my emotions, I like it. I don't want to stop. I says, well, would you consider praying in the Holy Ghost a couple of hours a day? no no my emotions don't want to be free enough to do that said so, well would you would you consider getting up and, and worshiping God for an hour or two no no why would I want to worship God when I want to see him why would I want to pray in tongues my emotions don't want to I don't I'm only here because something way down on the inside Wants to be free. But emotionally, I'm telling you the truth. I don't want to be. I like it. I like the sinning. I said, well, you won't worship God? No. No, I don't. I don't have the emotional strength to do so. I'm I'm in a prison. I do want out. And if you could get me out without me doing anything, just could you change my emotions where I wanted out? Then I'd come out. What do you think a prison is? If I was you, I wouldn't play with fire. you get burned. said, I didn't know what to do with these people. how did it start? Thoughts that you didn't deal with. I said okay you won't worship you won't pray in the Holy Ghost I know I don't want my emotions don't want to I'm drained he says I just want to do the other I said well will you confess the word will you walk the floor and minister to yourself in hymns and spiritual songs Will you minister to your own soul with the word? Will you confess the word? Will you walk the floor and say, I'm free, I'm free? Will you confess the word? No. No, because emotionally I do not feel like it. Well, what will you do? Well, I'll come to you for an answer and hope against hope that you can do something to me. Can you pray for me till I want to get set free till I want to? Will you? Sure, I prayed for them lots and lots of times. Bind the devil. Bind him off their life. Break his power. Cast him off them. Cast him out. Do everything you can. And generally, because of their emotional addiction, it's just not very long. They're back in again because I can't continue to be their willpower. Has any of you ever seen anybody like that? let see your little hand. See Since I walk in preacher's realms mostly, that's who I deal with mostly. And I understand who you deal with. So to my surprise, to my surprise after Augie preached, you know, so faithfully, and I listened to his testimony about when the strong man came and attempted to take him apart emotional thread at a time unweave his garment of righteousness and salvation just picking one thread at a time until it totally emotionally broke Augie down broke lee down his wife they he bordered on insanity his wife had a nervous breakdown it wasn't just circumstantial. Things could be going good. And he said the thing that caused me to survive. He said uncompromisingly. I knew that I was fighting for my life. I knew it, he said. He said I had, I had to get the word of God out. And at the time, he was in India most of the time with his father who runs a Christian school with me. A thousand or so, two thousand kids in it, twenty-five hundred kids. So Augie was administrator at the school, and so he did have some time that he locked himself aside. And I'm going to tell you something: if my if my salvation's at stake, I'll make the time. If my emotions are so crazy, I don't want help then the first thing I'm going to do is anything that will turn my emotions even if I don't want them turned. I will know from the spiritual realm that it will save me from hell. And if for no other reason, I will begin to do it. So, Augie said, I knew I was fighting for my life. I knew it. For six hours, six hours, six hours, a day. He read the word of God. Through, from cover to cover every two weeks Genesis to Revelation every two weeks Genesis to Revelation every two weeks I said Augie would you show me how you did that I want, I want to see your physical posture I want how did you do that he said sure I'll show you and he went over to his couch I believe he was in his house. He got down next to his couch and he opened his Bible up on the couch and he laid himself over it and he just read it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was the void without shape or form and darkness was upon the face of the demon. And he said, I'll just start reading, and I'd read it, and I'd read it for six solid hours. He said, I would not let myself stop. So, said, what did that do? I can tell you what it did. And since I kept hearing Augie teach, that I thought, well, I'd start counseling some of these people to do that. Because the Holy Ghost prompted me one day, says, counsel them to do that. And in my mind, it was racing, well, what will that do? They won't do that either. And to my surprise, most of them are willing to carry the Bible and sit down and read it for a while. So I got bold in my counseling. I says, even if you crawled out from underneath a slimy rock of the lust of the flesh, just unemotionally ask Jesus to forgive you and then go on and get your word out. And if you can bring yourself to do it, read an hour in the Old Testament and then go over and read an hour in the New. Then the next day, go back and read an hour in the Old, and an hour in the New, and two hours if you can get it. No matter what, slimy kind of rock. Now listen to me. It works for sin. It'll also work for your poverty and... Other things that your mind is messed up over. So I said, no matter what you feel like, go back and do that. Do it. Read an hour in the old, an hour, and will you do that? Well, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll do that. This is what begins to happen. All of the sudden, he has reversed the whole process that brought him to where he was an out-of-control, emotional mess full of lust. And it all started with uncaptivated thoughts as a Christian. It's the same process that brings a sinner out of dope and everything else through the transformation of the renewing of the mind that gets him set free. But for a Christian that's reindoctrinated and goes back, it's the same process again that brings him out. Now, if it started with uncaptivated thoughts, every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed, meaning that when you concede to the temptation, he says, you are then tempted, drawn away by your own lust because you were enticed by the temptation. And then lust conceives, it it brings forth its own life, takes root in your soul and gets a hold of you through conception. It is now a living thing that is living with you. lust conceives it brings forth the sin its child is sin if you don't do something about it when sin has finished its course you're dead and if all of this started with uncaptivated thoughts temptations thrown at me by the hordes of devils through the media through publications through the educational systems demon possessed genius personalities who are very patient under the instructions of a power to feed you a nipple full at a time until you're destroyed if it all started by uncaptivated thoughts flowing through me and giving them increase day by day then wouldn't it stand to reason my friend that by reading the word of God for two hours a day would suddenly begin to run God's thoughts through your mind through your soul and through your spirit and the more you read the more of God's thoughts would run through you and begin to replace the uncaptivated thoughts over and over after hour running his thoughts through you now follow me close when I don't feel like praying I don't feel like worshipping I don't feel like confessing the word well what do you do feel like well I will read it even if I crawled out among that slimy rock then I'll read it yeah well when your emotions are wrecked and you can't even dig the want to up Emotions are the fruit of uncaptivated thoughts. He says, every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and enticed. First it begins with thoughts. The enticement comes. Lust comes. Conception takes place. Lust is the form where the emotions come from. Now, when you begin to have God's thoughts flow through you hour after hour, after hour. Let me tell you what it will begin to do for you, even if it's involuntarily on your part. Pretty soon, all those thoughts of God will start gendering just a little bit of emotion. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And you'll find yourself drifting off into his thoughts. And pretty soon, all those thoughts of God flowing through you well, kind of like a fisherman snags a fish you know starts reeling him in they'll kind of hook an emotion over here and pull it into your soul and they'll hook another one over here and pull that into your soul till pretty soon there's enough emotions that begin to oppose the other emotions the wrong ones and if you keep going pretty soon you'll get your emotions back to pray with tongues Say, I don't want them. well now do you think that I'll pray about an hour after reading the word today my question back at that <laughs> you know you know. I, I feel like worshiping God now and you'll start worshiping God why because even against emotions if you'll just read the word you start recapturing the emotions you lost and you'll start feeling like serving God again do you understand where I'm coming from It <laughs> is good stuff I have to admit it <laughs> Well, I'd sure like to see that from the Word. Well, we'll read it again. Let's begin with the 13th verse, and let's just kind of jump on down to 21. And, and we'll just read a few select verses here to show you what I'm talking about, and then we'll stop. Because I I'm supposed to read these and then preached all that. but it's okay it'll just help you understand it better amen alright see he, he breaks you the, down the same way when he said four times in the book of Matthew to get rid of your care See, where do you think that your breakdown come to where you're so full of torment and worry and his plan for you is a, a nervous breakdown where do you think all that comes from where do you think your indoctrination comes from You know, the same thing will, will help you come to know God. You can't read through the Bible year after year after year and not get to come to know the person of the Father. Know how he'll act in every situation. It'll help you. The more you're around somebody, the more you get to know them. And what better than every thought that God has spoken to mankind for you to cover, you know, every three months, totally. I mean it's every three or four months everything that God has spoken to mankind in the written word, if that has flown through you every four months, what is that going to do on your overall perspective and wisdom to draw on in any situation? My God, what, what kind of prayer is this? It's a meditational prayer. So what does he say in 13 that he says? Let no man say when he is tempted. I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Isn't that interesting? In order to tempt you with evil, God has to be tempted. Well, I'm sure glad for that. He said, let no man say. (laughs) I'm not supposed to say this. He says that when you're tempted, that you're tempted of God. He says, for every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and what? Enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. He says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variables, neither shadow of Turning. So let's go on to the 21st, 21st verse because he's given you that, that lineup, that progression to a stronghold, which I've already explained. But now you can understand why he says what he says in verse 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. I think that's one of the funniest statements in the entire King James translation. <laughs> I never said anything. That is that is one of the most tremendous run-on words I've ever heard in my life. I'm going to read that again. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. <laughs> That's worth only King James over right there. That is really something. (laughs) All right, let's finish this up. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Now, of course, filthiness is speaking of filthiness of the flesh. Superfluity of naughtiness speaks on this wise... A superfluity means beyond acceptable limits. It's not exactly uh, a raven, lasciviousness, and adultery, but a superfluity of naughtiness means the temptation stage that's beyond acceptable limits. Like, no, 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 you shouldn't be watching that. You shouldn't be looking at that. You shouldn't be reading that. And you shouldn't be acting that way towards that woman. Being married, you shouldn't be acting that way towards that single woman, or that single woman acting that way towards that man. He said lay all aside it because that kinds of temptations will result in enticement, drawing away by your own lust. Lust will conceive, it'll become part of your soul, part of your life. It'll start its control process. And when its fullness comes, it'll bring forth sin and sin death. So he told you to put it away. Don't even get started in it. He told you to do so for a reason. But watch what he says here. It's very good. Wherefore, or because of what he said about this breakdown process, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness and receive with meekness, that is a teachable spirit. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your what? souls and receive with meekness the engrafted word you have to engraft it in as a live branch that is able to save your souls meaning instead of doing the other I need to lend myself to the flowing of God's thoughts through me it doesn't matter how much hour after hour after hour instead of the superfluity of naughtiness and giving myself to uncaptivated thoughts the temptations lust of the flesh I need to give myself over to the engrafted word of God which is able to stabilize my soul engrafted into Jesus Christ and he that knows these things he said will never fall glory be to God (laughs) well let's go on over to the third chapter just for a minute and I'll read a couple more verses then we'll stop anybody getting anything yes sir he says three and one my brethren be not many masters knowing that we will receive the greater condemnation well if I'm not going to be many masters jack-of-all-trades <laughs> master of none Well, if I'm not going to be many masters and try to run everybody's show for them then what should I master? Just one thing. (laughs) He tells you that in the second verse. Now, doesn't he? This could get interesting, couldn't it? Well, if I'm not going to be many masters, then what thing should I master? That tells you in two. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and is able also to bridle his whole body. You mean my body can't control me? Huh. And As long as uncaptivated thoughts and lusts can't control what I'm saying and doing, that's why Jesus said, take no thought, saying. What shall we eat? What are we going to wear? Where shall we be clothed? Whoo, glory be to God. He said, it's who? This man is able to bridle his whole body. You mean control it? Oh, he went on to say, you put bits in horses' mouths. Why do you do that? So some puny little old 170-pound man can sit on his back and make him go where he wants. You mean, as far as unbridled lusts and all that's concerned about your person, you mean to tell me the same way a bit can bridle? How much does a big horse weigh? 5,000 pounds. Here, this 170-pound man, he's sitting on top of a 1,000-pound horse, making him go left, right, frontwards, backwards. Isn't that incredible? Or how about the helm on the ship? There's that little helmsman standing there. Now they're electric. The helmsman is standing there and that, that helm turns. And I mean millions of tons will go in the direction that that little rudder turns the entire ship. But what makes this interesting is he's likening that, the control of a thousand-pound horse and the control of millions of pounds of steel to a bit and to a rudder the control of your body to your tongue and what you're saying. So I'm not going to be masters of everybody else's business. I'm going to tame my tongue. And by golly, if I can tame my tongue, I can tame my thoughts. If I can tame my thoughts, I can bridle my body. If I can bridle my body, glory be to God, I can walk in the fullness of of the engrafted word of God in my soul. Hallelujah. Well, stand to your feet and let's worship God. Glory be to God forever and a couple of millennials to boot. Amen.